Well, today we are continuing uh, in our second week of the sermon series, Evangelism 101. And last week, we considered the why of evangelism. And I shared that we have to accept uh, the call to share the message of Jesus for three reasons. Because God made people to know him, because people are hopelessly lost without Christ, and because God wants everyone to be saved. Evangelism is so important because God really does want every single person to know him, and he really does want everybody to be saved. And so having talked about the why last week, today we're going to turn our attention to the who and the how of evangelism. Who is responsible for evangelism and how is evangelism done? What activities are necessary? What activities uh, are those who, committed, those who are committed to evangelism, uh, what are they committed to? What activities do they do? And then next week we'll consider the rewards of evangelism. And so we begin today by looking more closely at a point that I briefly mentioned as we started the series last week, who is responsible for evangelism? And the answer to that question is this, every single believer in Jesus Christ is called by God to share the good news. So who is responsible for evangelism? We are, I am, you are. If you're a believer, you are responsible. Anyone who professes Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord is responsible for evangelism, is responsible for sharing their faith. The words of Jesus himself make it clear to us that Jesus' mission is our mission. The mission for which he came into the world, he has given every single believer that same mission. Jesus told us, told us what his mission was in Luke 19.10. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ came to earth. He announced the kingdom of God. He identified himself as the image of the invisible God and as the only way to God. He lived a life of sinless obedience to God he died a sacrificial death for the sins of the whole world. He rose to life victorious over death and the grave, proving that his sacrifice for the sins of the world had fully paid the debt and that all could be saved through faith in him. He came to seek and save the lost, and that's how he did it. And before he returned to heaven, he instructed his followers to proclaim that message of what he had done throughout the entire world. And he said that those who heard the message, who believed the message, who received the message and entrusted their lives to it, received him as Savior and Lord, that they would be saved, the lost would be saved, spiritually dead people would come to life. And so we see throughout the New Testament that Jesus' mission is to be our mission. Most famously, we see it in the Great Commission, which we'll look at here in a minute. But we also see it in a prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father about his disciples in John 17, 18. Here's what Jesus prayed. 
As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. What you sent me to do, I've now sent them to do. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He says to the Father, you sent me, I've sent them. You sent me to seek and save the lost, I've sent them to seek and save the lost and proclaim the message of salvation so that all who believe it and receive it will be saved. Jesus' mission is our mission. It's really clear in the Bible who has the responsibility for evangelism. Every believer, me, you, us. And nowhere is this more clearly seen and articulated than in the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We looked at this last week, but it's a pretty big deal. So it's okay to look at it two weeks in a row. Okay? My uh, grandfather, who uh, pastored for, I don't know, 50 years, uh, he said that his method of preaching was that he would tell people what he was going to tell them, and then he would tell them, and then he would tell them what he just told them. And I think that's actually a pretty good approach. And so I, I think we can handle the Great Commission two weeks in a row. Here's what it says. Then Jesus came to them, his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That little word, go, when you read that, you should just hear it as go and proclaim. No one can respond to the gospel until they first hear the gospel. Go and proclaim. Who is to do that? That's right, Jesus' disciples. Baptize those who believe. Who is to do that? We are, Jesus' disciples. Teach those who believe to obey everything Christ has commanded. Who is to do that? Boy, I liked that responsiveness, and then it just kind of faded out <laughs> as we went on. But yes, we are Jesus' disciples. These are not assignments for a select few they are assignments for disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, these apply to you. And so we see again that Jesus' mission is our mission. And notice what the last verse says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gives us his mission, and then he promises to be with us as we carry out his mission. We don't have to do this on our own. We do it with his help and power, which we're going to talk about a little bit more here in a few minutes. And so he doesn't ask us to carry out his mission by ourselves. He doesn't ask us to do it in our own strength and abilities. He promises that he'll be with us as we go and proclaim and baptize and teach. Again, crystal clear who is responsible for evangelism, every believer. We are, I am, you are, but we're not alone in this responsibility. Christ is with us. The Apostle Paul understood the responsibility of believers for evangelism. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 last week, but once again, this passage is a pretty big deal. 
And so it warrants mentioning it two weeks in a row. Here's how the Apostle Paul described our responsibility for evangelism. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And once he did that, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. That's exactly what he's doing. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Once again, the point is driven home that we have a responsibility for evangelism. Since Paul penned these words, Christians have understood their meaning. That every believer is an ambassador of Christ. Every believer has had the ministry of reconciliation committed to, entrusted to them. Every believer is a person through whom God is appealing to the world to be reconciled to him. Every believer has the responsibility to implore unsaved people to be reconciled to God. Jesus' mission is our mission. Evangelism is our responsibility. And here's something that I think we need to see in this passage. Evangelism is a privilege. Evangelism is a privilege. Think about what a high honor it is when someone is nominated to be an ambassador of the United States to another nation. Yes, it's a great responsibility, but it's a high honor. It's a, it's a privilege, an honor to be selected as an ambassador. Think about this. We are ambassadors of Christ. I'm an ambassador of Christ. If you're a believer, you're an ambassador of Christ. What a privilege. Now, I know this sounds like one of those things you just say in sermons. I, I know that. But this is true. We have a much higher honor than representing the United States. We have the honor and privilege of representing, not the president, but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of everything that is, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one for whom all of this was created. What a privilege. The responsibility for evangelism is ours. Ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation, and this responsibility is a privilege. Now, the book of Ezekiel is probably a surprising place to find information about our responsibility for evangelism. And I'm going to be honest, I did not find this myself. 
I found this from Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church. And so if you don't like it, you can blame Rick Warren. (laughs) But Ezekiel does give us such information. And it makes the point that evangelism really is a responsibility. A responsibility that should not be taken lightly. Here's what Ezekiel 3.18 says. It's a sobering passage. It's God speaking to Ezekiel and he says, When I say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. My goodness. I'll bet that passage has never been hung on a refrigerator anywhere ever (laughs) in the history of the world. Not once. Not once. Do you think it's relevant to our responsibility for evangelism? I would say the answer to that is yes, it absolutely is. You see, friends, here's the truth. The entire world today, March 21st, 2021, stands condemned before God. As we talked about in the Habakkuk series, judgment is coming upon the world. Unstoppable, inescapable, apart from Christ, judgment is coming. God has declared that those who do not receive Christ will be separated from Him forever. We know this. And so how can we not speak out and try to dissuade the world from the path of destruction, the path to destruction that the world is on? We have a responsibility. Many of you have probably heard this, but... Penn Gillette of the famous Vegas duo Penn and Teller famously said the following several years ago. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. You know, proselytizing's really fallen out of favor. But Penn Gillette has thought through this, and he's thinking correctly with what he says. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward, I don't respect that. And then he went on and said, this is a sobering question, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? That's an important question. How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? It's a haunting question, isn't it? Jesus' mission 
is our mission. Evangelism really is a responsibility. It doesn't mean that the salvation of the world rests on us. It doesn't. It rests on Christ. And no, it's not your responsibility individually to get the message to the entire world. But we absolutely have a responsibility to share the gospel with those that God places in our path. Friends, family, co-workers, those who God sends into our path, sends into our lives. How can we not tell them? We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. One more thought before we move to the how of evangelism. Evangelism is a way that we show our gratitude for what God has done for us. Here's what Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 say. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, and without God in the world, but in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. As believers in Jesus, we have to remember that we were once people who were far from God, and we were brought near only through the blood of Jesus. And in almost every case, God used someone who shared the gospel with us to help us see the truth and be saved. In almost every case. Some of you might have just picked up the Bible and started reading it and come to faith. Those things happen. But in most cases, God uses someone to share the message with us, and that's how we eventually come to faith. And if we are grateful that that happened in our lives, we should show it by doing the same thing for other people, by telling others, this is God's desire for us. This is God's desire for all of us. And so if we're grateful, we show it by telling others. Jesus' mission is our mission. All believers are responsible for evangelism. I am responsible and you are responsible. So let's turn our attention for a few minutes to the how of evangelism. How do we move from affirming evangelism to actually doing evangelism? And here is what I think is the most important answer to that question. And I think it's often an overlooked answer. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, here's what he said to his disciples in Acts 1.8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. We're called to continue Jesus' mission. He promised us in the Great Commission that He'd be with us as we went about fulfilling this mission. So it's His mission, He's with us, and it's with His power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are enabled 
to do it. And so here's what this tells us. Evangelism is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe this is why, and I'm talking to myself, maybe this is why we're not always so good at it, is because we're trying to do it in our own power rather than allowing it to be fueled by the power of the Spirit. So if we affirm that evangelism is our responsibility and we should do it, because it is our responsibility, and if persuaded by that truth, we desire to move from only affirming evangelism to actually doing evangelism, and we know that that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit, then a question that we should be asking ourselves is, how do I receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit for evangelism? And here's what I believe the Bible tells us is the answer. The empowering of the Spirit for evangelism, which includes receiving the boldness needed to share our faith, it comes as we spend time with Jesus, as we encounter Him, as we get to know Him, and as we have genuine experiences with Him where we don't just learn about Him, but we actually get to know Him. When we encounter Christ and experience His power in our own lives, it is an empowering experience that emboldens us and we want to share what we've experienced with others. This is why so many times in the New Testament when someone would encounter Jesus, often they wouldn't even thank Him. They would just turn around and run away and start telling everybody what had happened. They had encountered Jesus. And they couldn't wait to tell people about it. I mean, we know how this works, right? You go to a new restaurant you like, you tell everybody about it. The, the Buckeyes win a game, you tell everybody about it. Jesus saves us. We go sit in our living room in the dark and watch Netflix. They encountered Jesus. And they went and told everybody about it. It often happened when Jesus would heal people. Sometimes Jesus would even say, now don't go tell anybody about this. Keep it quiet. I don't want you spreading this around. And what would they do? Oh, okay, Jesus. And then they would turn around and they'd go tell everybody they could find that Jesus had healed them. Here's the point. When they encountered Jesus, they simply could not keep it to themselves it was an impossibility. They had to share it. They were so overwhelmed by the experience, they had to share it. For many of us, we experienced this when we first came to faith in Jesus. Look back at the time when you first came to faith in Jesus. Most of us, when that happens for the first time, we are pumped, we are enthused. We are empowered by the Spirit. And so we tell people about it. That's the experience of many new believers. But then what happens? The years pass. It all becomes familiar. We settle in. We become less passionate. 
we forget who we were before Jesus. We forget how bad we were before Jesus. And if we're not careful, what happens is our love for Jesus grows cold. Things that used to impact us powerfully, we now take for granted. We go from reading the Bible every day, because we, we see it as life-giving. And, and we read it when we're new believers, and it's like, it's life-giving. We go from doing that to, yeah, not so much, I, I pretty much know what's in there. We go from taking in sermons and being thankful for every new thing we learn or encouraging word we hear and we move to being analysts. Instead of receiving, we evaluate and critique. The preacher gets a 7.3 for body language this morning and um, eight and a half for content. I mean, it was a very biblical message, but I had a slight disagreement with that one point. I mean, it's debated, but nobody does that when they're a new believer. They just soak in the truth, believe the truth. That doesn't mean we shouldn't evaluate things. I'm not saying that. It's just what is the fundamental posture of our heart? Is it one of receiving and rejoicing in the word, or is it one of now I've just moved to where I just am an analyst? I evaluate everything that's going on instead of receiving. We go from asking where we can serve to complaining that the church doesn't offer any specific ministries for white middle-aged men going through a midlife crisis who are considering buying a red sports car. (laughs) Or we get really troubled about why there's no specific ministry for new parents who also have to deal with the stigma of being left-handed. That was much funnier in my mind, (laughs) but whatever. Humor's risky. My apologies to the left-handers. I do not view it as a stigma. Just, you know. (laughs) We go from remembering how much God has forgiven us for and celebrating grace and extending grace And we start grading ourselves on a curve while holding everyone else to a higher standard. We forget how sinful we were, and so we start despising people who don't know God for acting like people who don't know God. And before we know it, we move from empowered, on-fire-for-God evangelists to lukewarm, critical Pharisees who love to critique other believers in an ungodly culture, but never tell anyone about Jesus. And I stand before you guilty of this. We just grouse about how bad the culture is. And when this happens to us, I respectfully suggest that even if we're having our daily quiet time, Something has gone wrong to where we've stopped encountering the Jesus who is. And we've started meeting with a Jesus that we have created in our own image. You can be the most faithful person to your daily quiet time. 
But if you are meeting a Jesus that you created in your own image, it is not helping you, it is hurting you. When this happens to us, we've stopped reading the Bible and receiving what it actually says. And we've started reading into the Bible what we want to hear. We will only be empowered for evangelism when we spend time with and encounter the Jesus who is. Not the Jesus of our own making. So we receive the empowering of the Spirit for evangelism. When we spend time with Jesus. When we truly encounter him as he really is. In the scriptures, in prayer, in worship. This is how it happens. In Acts 4, Peter and John were called before the Sanhedrin to account for the healing of a crippled man. And for their teaching and preaching about Jesus. And verse 8 says that when they got up to give an account of themselves before this esteemed religious body, that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit as he began to talk. And as they boldly proclaimed Christ before the Sanhedrin, verse 13 of chapter 4 says of the Sanhedrin, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Where'd the power come from to proclaim Christ in front of a hostile group of religious leaders? They had been with Jesus. How did unschooled, ordinary men speak eloquently and boldly in front of these people that in the natural they would have been extremely intimidated by? How? They had been with Jesus. Later in chapter 4, the Sanhedrin threatened Peter and John that they should not speak any more about Jesus. And here's how they answered in verse 20. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight for us to obey you rather than God. Catch this next line. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We can't help it. It doesn't matter what you're going to do to us. I can't stop myself from talking about what I've seen and heard. This is what they were saying. Now look, I'm preaching to myself as much as anyone here today. But here's what I think we learn from this passage that should cause us to look at ourselves and ask some hard questions. Peter and John had been with Jesus. And, and so they tell the Sanhedrin, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. If we've been with Jesus, that should be true of us. We can't help but speak about this. When we truly encounter Jesus like we did when we first came to faith. When we stop claiming that, well, I've matured in my faith. I don't have the same enthusiasm because I've grown. I've matured. And when we admit that 
actually what's happened is that we've grown a bit cold. And when we encounter Christ again, and we encounter him as he really is, I think it's possible even in 2021 to be people who cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard about Jesus. And so to move from affirming evangelism to doing evangelism, we need the empowering of the Spirit, and that comes as we spend time with Jesus. We really get to know Him as He is, as we truly encounter Him. And then, empowered by the Spirit, let me quickly share a few ways that we can go about doing evangelism. And usually we get to these things and haven't talked about the empowering of the Spirit. But even though these are simple things that we're about to talk about now, most of us have proven that we don't do these very well because we're not empowered by the Spirit. But if we are empowered by the Spirit, these simple things, God takes them and God does great things through them. Okay? So four quick hows of evangelism. First, we pray for the salvation of lost people. This one thing, this one thing could make such a huge difference in our evangelistic fruit is praying for the salvation of lost people. And here's a, a mindset adjustment we need to make. We need to see prayer as action. Prayer is action. Don't ever allow yourself to think that prayer is what you do when you can't do anything. Now, I, I understand what we mean when we say that, but prayer itself is action. It is doing something really important. It is doing something really powerful. And so pray for unsaved family and friends. Pray by name for unsaved people you know at work or at school or from the store or the restaurant. Pray that all believers would accept the responsibility of evangelism. Pray that God would bring gifted evangelists into this church and into every church even more than that. Pray that people who already are here that have the gift of evangelism and just haven't figured it out yet would figure it out and start operating in that gift. That they'll discover it and that they'll begin to use it. Pray. Pray. Here's a simple one. It does, this doesn't even hardly feel like evangelism, but I promise you it is. Invite people to church. Just invite people to church. I, I don't think there's any easier way to participate in, the, in evangelism than simply inviting someone to church. Spend five minutes thinking about how you can naturally work this into a conversation. Five minutes. You can probably come up with five different scenarios of how you could do this in five minutes. Let me give you one that doesn't apply to me anymore, so it's easy for me to tell you about it. <laughs> if you sit down to have your hair done at a, at a barber or a salon, Barber for men, salon for women. If you've got that mixed up, men, you need to get back over to a barber. <laughs> just, just joking. 
the stylist or the barber will often try to make small talk with you. Now, my son Austin, when he was about eight years old or something like that, went to uh, the, the barber, and um, he, he came home and he asked, hey, uh, don't those people who cut your hair like to talk to little kids anymore? <laughs> something to that effect, because the barber didn't try to make small talk with my eight-year-old son that day, and he was disappointed because he was used to all the other barbers making small talk. So maybe you'll run into a barber who doesn't do this, but, uh, but many barbers, stylists, will try to make small talk. They'll ask you things like, what are your hobbies? What are your interests? And you can say things like, what your hobbies are. You can tell them how much you love Ohio State sports. But then you can add because they just asked you. You can add. I'm a Christian and my faith is really important to me. I'm a part of a church here in town. It's Vineyard or Living Hope. I don't know what it is, but I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and then you can say, are you a churchgoer? You don't, have to, you don't even have to say, are you a Christian? Are you a churchgoer? That's a little less, you know, a little less aggressive. Are you a churchgoer? And if they say no... Or if they say, well, yeah, actually I am, but I haven't been to church in years, then, hey, you should visit my church sometime. I, I think you'll like it. Welcome new neighbors to your neighborhood. Find time to say something as simple as, hey, I don't know if you guys are going to be looking for a church or not, but if you are, I'm going to Vineyard Christian Church slash Living Hope Church, and I'd love to have you come and check it out. Simply inviting people to church is a great way to do evangelism. Still needs to be empowered by the Spirit. Because let's be honest, how many of us have been doing it? Even something this simple needs empowered by the Spirit or we're just not going to do it. Here's the third thing. Tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life. Tell your story. We live in a time of lived experiences. If you've got a lived experience in our culture, that is, just, that is just unassailable truth. So tell your lived experience. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. We live in a time where you tell your lived experience, people, if they're going to be consistent with what they say, all the rest of the time, they're going to hear you out. Listen to what your lived experience is. And so, here it is. Every single believer has a story they can tell. And I can give you the outline to your story right now, even if I don't know your story. And then you just simply fill in the details of your story uh, under this outline that I give you. Here it is. Point number one on the outline of your story. Your life before Jesus. Just, what was your life like before Jesus? And even if you weren't deep into sin, one thing you know about your life before Jesus is that you were lost and you did not have any peace about your eternity. So what was your life before Jesus? 
Second part of your outline, the story of how you came to Jesus. How did he finally get a hold of you? Whatever the details are of you coming to faith, you just build that under this point of the outline. And then the third point on the outline of telling your story is your life since coming to Jesus. Maybe he delivered you from addiction. You can tell that. Maybe you used to be a fearful person and he's delivered you from fear. You can tell that. And all of us can tell this. Since coming to Jesus, I know I'm saved and I'll live forever with Jesus. That's your story. That's everybody's story. Life before Jesus, Jesus, life since Jesus. If you just think for 10, 15 minutes, write it down, commit it to memory, you know, two to three minute version of that, and you're ready to tell your story when someone gives you an opportunity to do it. Greg Laurie in his book, Tell Someone, writes this, even if you were raised in church and never went out and tasted all of the things this world has to offer, your testimony is the same as those who did. Here it is. You were in rebellion against God because of your sin. You heard the gospel. You believed in Jesus and turned from your sin. He forgave you of all your sins and gave you peace and purpose in life. And now instead of going to hell, you're going to heaven. That's every believer's testimony. Yes, there are unique details that we each have that we can, can put into our stories, but that is the basic outline of all of our stories. So just think through it. Add your details, and you are ready to begin to share with people when you're given an opportunity to do that. Life before Jesus, how you came to Jesus, life since Jesus. And finally, the fourth thing, share the gospel. Share the gospel. One approach that people have used over the years to sharing the gospel is called the Romans Road, because all the supporting Bible verses come from the book of Romans. And here it is in a, in a nutshell. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. Those two verses tell us the problem of every person on earth that has not received Christ as Savior. That's the, that's the problem everybody has. Their sin separated from their sinners. That sin has separated them from God. The wages of sin is death. But the Bible tells us an answer for that problem. Yes, the wages of sin are death, but Romans 6.23 lets us know this. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the answer for our sin problem. Every human has a problem. This is the answer to our problem. And then Romans tells us how we receive or how we personally come to, to benefit, to access this answer to our problem. It, essentially, it's telling us how to solve the problem. And here it is, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Most of you know this, even if you don't have it completely committed to memory, you, you probably know it pretty close. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess and are saved. And then Romans 10, 13 assures us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be 
saved. And so, and so that's how we actually receive salvation. And then when we've called on the name of the Lord in faith, Romans 5, 1 and 2 assure us of this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So work on committing that to memory. And if you do, you're ready to share the gospel. But here's an idea. Even if you don't remember all of that, you can do a pretty good job presenting the gospel to people if you simply remember one verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. Equip yourself to share the gospel when given the opportunity. Every believer is responsible for evangelism. I am, you are, together we are. We need the empowering of the Spirit, and we receive that as we spend time with and encounter Jesus as He really is. And we do evangelism by praying, inviting, telling our story, and sharing the gospel. And so I am asking us today to be people who embrace Jesus' mission as our mission because it is our mission. And I am asking us to be people who are willing, and I'm talking to myself today, let's be willing to break out of our comfort zones and begin to do the work of evangelism. And we have some easy steps that we can take that are available right now. Easter is coming. And people are more open to invitations to church right now than at any other time of the year. And so, here is an easy step for you to take. In the back of the seat in front of you, there is an invitation card to our Easter services. Take this with you today. Take it out of the seat and use this to invite someone to church. If you want more than one, if you're really inspired by today's message and you want more than one, they are on the back uh, bookshelf, they're at the information center, they're on all the little tables out in the foyer. Use these cards to invite people to church and as the card shows you, we are giving you permission to start referring to your church as Living Hope Church the back of the card identifies it as formerly Vineyard Christian Church, so you can explain that if you want to, uh, but you can start inviting people to Living Hope Church, and, and so use this to invite someone to church for Easter. Next week, we are going to have yard signs available, and so take a yard sign, put it in your yard. There's a, there's a simple thing you can do to try to participate in evangelism that, like, what could be easier than that? You don't even have to interact with anybody. Just stick a sign in your yard. Pray over it. And today, uh, on the back bookshelf, we have five copies of this excellent little book by Greg Laurie, Tell Someone. Tell Someone. These are completely free to you if you will read it. 
if you'll read it. It's not big enough to be a coffee table book. So you, you take it to read it, not to look good on your coffee table. All right? So if, if you feel like, yes, I want to equip myself to share my story, I want to equip myself to share the gospel, this little book does a wonderful job of that. And so there are five copies back there. You can take those with you at the information center. We have a sign-up sheet. If you want one of these books, we will purchase it for you for free. We'll pay. You'll get it for free. And, uh, and uh, if you'll read it, then we want you to have it and we'll buy it for you. So let's equip ourselves to share the gospel and to share our story. Let's stand. Let's stand.